Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about the newest installment to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Eternals, and I am happy to be joined by my friend, co-worker, and most importantly for today, Marvel enthusiast Shane Chernoff to talk about Eternals. Shane, thank you for filling in for Maya, who uh, had some scheduling conflicts. I'm happy to do this with you. Thank you for having me on, brother. It is an honor to finally be on this podcast. Uh, I guess this is like first time, long time, um, but I'm I'm ready to talk some Marvel. I saw this in the theater by myself. Had a little chicken finger, some popcorn. It was a it was a good solo movie going experience earlier this week for me. All right. Well, you sound positive about the experience. I'm sure we'll get into it, and I'm, you'll have some uh, thoughts uh, maybe in both directions. But it's interesting because it, a lot of people have sounded a little negative about this movie, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, to set us up a little bit, The Eternals, uh, you know, is di- written and directed by Chloe Zhao. She had a couple of different um, co-writers, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo. Uh, Chloe Zhao, most known for uh, being the Oscar winner last year for Best Director for Nomadland, but she signed on to do this movie before anyone had even seen Nomadland when she had just done a couple of small movies, including one, The Rider, uh, from 2018 that got some, uh, got some good publicity. But you know, it's interesting. This whole enterprise was a little interesting, Shane, as I'd say, and that like I think it was like some much, much lesser known comic book characters. Uh, and but a lot of them at the same time went into this movie as it takes place in it starts out in 5000 BC, where it shows us that these 10 superpowered eternals who are, you know, um immortal are kind of put on earth. Uh, by a celestial named Erishem uh, to exterminate an invasive species known as Deviants. Uh, these Eternals, their, their names are Ajax, Circe, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastos, Makari, Druig, Gilgamesh, and Thena. Uh, they, we'll go through who plays all of them. This is a loaded cast. Uh, they all have their own separate kind of powers. Uh, they, they, they exterminate the Deviants sometime in the 16th century, and they decide to go their own ways at that point, and uh, well, there's, right. There's a schism. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they, they have different they have different opinions on how they're going to have to, like, you know, go about doing things for, moving forward and interact with humankind. And that causes them to go their separate ways and uh, handle being earthbound in much different ways. Uh, in the present day, uh, Circe, who's played by Jimmy Chan and Sprite, who's played by Liam Hugh, they are living together in London. Uh, Circe had uh, been in a long-time romantic relationship with Icarus, played by Richard Madden, uh, but they had broken up, and now she's dating a human named Dane Whitman, played by Kit Harrington, who you might know from Game of Thrones. And and yeah, but like it, it, it's funny, yeah, Jon Snow and Rob Stark. It's a, a little bit of a Game of Thrones reunion, and there's a character named Cersei, albeit it's spelled differently. So some funny Game of Thrones parallels there. But uh, again, she's dating this guy, and then one day they're walking out of a walking out of a pub, and they're attacked by a deviant who, again, they think have been dead for 500 years. Uh, Icarus arrives out of nowhere, helps them chase him away, and they realize, oh crap, the deviants had returned. They need to go find Ajax, who's played by Selma Hayek, who is their leader. And we see glimpses of her, even though like when they find her in South Dakota, uh, she's dead, uh, seemingly killed by one of the deviants. And they say, oh, snap, we need to go get the gang back together and take out these deviants and figure out what's going on. And that sends us on a bit of a you know globe trotting, time hopping um, excursion as they go and collect all their people, collect all their fellow Eternals, but also we, we get little glimpses back into the past of what their relationships were like and the kind of things they were doing throughout the years prior to them going their own separate ways. Uh, Shane, I guess where I want to start with is, like I mentioned before, they, these are like all these, these characters are just like, you know, 
just much more foreign to people. Like, unless they're, I'd say, unless they're just like deep, deep comic fans, you know, I think uh, uh, the, the Eternals were created by Jack Kirby, who's obviously one of the big uh, minds behind Marvel along with Stan Lee. But this, even in spite of that, like, I just think a lot of people who even like know Marvel fairly well could have easily just like overlooked those comics from what I understand. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I mean, my thought is when I walked out of the theater, my, overarching impression is that this is the marvel movie for people who like sci-fi but don't want to know that they're watching a marvel movie Hmm. um these are these are characters that are pretty much on the obscure side uh i don't know how many of of your listeners or viewers have watched the uh the old earth's mightiest heroes cartoon but they explored a lot of different sets of diverse characters and the eternals weren't even mentioned in that one uh you do hear a few references to the mcu here and there but given the fact that they're isolated from the rest of the MCU and, and uh, there is some plot explanation as to why they weren't linking up with the Avengers or the likes of the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, I don't know how much you want me to spoil or don't want me to spoil, but I'm just going to err on the side of caution there. There, mm-hmm. there are uh, plot reasonings, which you know some people have criticized and, and, and maybe perhaps rightfully so. But if you wanted to watch a sci-fi movie without really feeling like you're in the MCU, this is, this is a good movie for you. Um, as for, I know you had mentioned Chloe Zhao in the beginning. I know I honestly hadn't seen Nomadland, but I think for her first foray into a superhero movie, this was pretty solid on her part. Um, a lot of good cinematography. And I think one of the most difficult things, um, was she had the really unenviable task, uh, perhaps of, of dealing with an ensemble cast, dealing with plot lines and and storylines of, of 10 different people but also trying to make the story make sense as, as uh, one group, so to speak. Yeah, well, it's funny. A lot of times when just about any movie comes out, they will end up, you know, saying, oh, whether it be Marvel or something else, a question a lot of people ask these days, especially because certain movies can run kind of long, or they're like, well, should this, should this have just been a miniseries? And I think that question gets asked maybe a little too much sometimes because, you know, like we movies exist for a reason. You want to go have that it, that that finite experience, but... If there was ever a Marvel movie that should have been a miniseries, it should have been this one. You know, you could have had a 10 episode miniseries or maybe six of the episodes or so. Like, you know, you get longer looks into the backgrounds of some of these specific characters. So you get to care about them more. And then like, hey, maybe it converges into like some kind of big showdown. And here it's like, you know, your mileage is going to vary with these different characters. And I'm sure you're, you had some you preferred and you you you're, you had, I don't want to say prefer, but you probably had some you were more interested in than the others. And you're just kind of like, you got to take what take what you got to take what they give you here. And I, I, I agree with you. I feel kind of bad for her. Cause you know, it's just like, all right, well figure out in two and a half hours, how to like make everyone care about 10 different characters. And like, that's a lot. That's no, it, it absolutely is a tough task. And I, I think at this point, as a movie goer, as, as somebody who's evaluating this movie, you have to be a, almost a little bit self-aware about what Marvel's trying to do with this. Marvel's in a bit of a transition phase, right? We've seen Infinity War, uh, we saw Endgame, and and there needed to be one movie that put that kind of started to slot everybody into their starting positions for this um, next phase of movies. We did it a little bit on a small scale with um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. If you've seen that, we've done it a little bit with um, a couple of the different other other Marvel miniseries. But you know, Josh, that's a fair point. Well, in the I end, think- in the end of Shang Chi. And, and the end of Shang-Chi as well. I think that is a fair point. Could could you have done this? Um, and when you look at the budget, I feel like, you, you know, <laughs> from a dollars and cents perspective, from what the money that they put into this movie, you probably would have been better off doing it as a miniseries. 
Um, but if you take a look at it in its totality, you take a look at the end credit scenes. Um, these are the building blocks. These are the foundations for the next couple of movies. So if you're looking at it and saying, well, I don't really care about these 10 characters by the time that you get through season or not season two, but by the time that you get through the next phase of these Marvel movies, these characters are, are going to matter. They kind of telegraph by the time that you get to the end of the movie, um, what's going to be happening over the course of, of the next several. Um, I'm, I'm not sure oh. how much you want to talk about the, the no way home trailer, but I have not watched it. I keep hearing that it seems like they're giving away a lot in those trailers. So I think I might've watched the very first no way home trailer and that's it. So that's uh, probably smart. They did give, give a lot of the game away, but, but, but uh, I, I do have thoughts, news, notes, <laughs> and opinions on that. If you want it from no, me, I, I haven't watched it. So I don't want, I don't want you to, I don't want you to give me give away too much there, but we, we, we can, we can speculate a little bit at the end, maybe on how this could lead in, because I want to talk about how these people fit into the larger MCU now at this point, because uh, you're talking about how we're going to be with these people going forward, which certainly seems to be the case, but it's interesting in that, like, I think one of the big questions that people asked when they first saw this was going to be a movie about people that have been uh, superheroes that have been around for years and years and years was like, well, where the hell have they been when we could have been fighting Thanos? And that, that question right. is, it got raised in the second trailer because I think everyone was like, what the hell is wrong with these people? So I think they, I think they brought that up in the second trailer and then yeah, they have they to answer pretty- that. I was just well, going to say a pretty thick coat of plot armor, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, but no, but I was just going to ask, like, I mean, that was something that still bothered me even as I was watching that movie, this movie. And they, they basically, they, they get asked that question in this movie, I think by the Kit Harrington character. It's like, well, why don't y'all help with Thanos? And they say like, oh, you know, like it's our orders to like let he let humanity like play itself out. And they kind of yada yada it in that way. Even though like some of the flashbacks, it seems like they are kind of interfering with humanity. They're kind of fighting the deviants, but they're kind of also like in doing so they are kind of like intervening with humanity to a certain extent because the deviants could hurt humans. Were you able to just kind of like forget about that part of it? Because I guess I was still kind of thinking about it even after I left the theater. It's not it's not going to hinder my enjoyment of these people too much as they come into future movies because I think the one thing I did really like about Eternals was like I liked a lot of these characters in isolation, even if I have some criticisms of the overall story. So what what were your ultimate thoughts about like how you how you see these people like fitting into the MCU or how how you felt about them as characters? thinking about like y'all were just chilling during the snap. Yeah. And, and, and my opinion on that is um, we have been indoctrinated into this MCU where we're supposed to believe um, somebody got kidnapped by terrorists, built a giant flying suit of armor and then <laughs> led, led down a chase uh, through time travel to prevent half the universe from getting wiped out. You're going to have to, at some point suspend this disbelief for a minute here Um, And that that's kind of how I treated it. You know, the idea has to do with they were brought onto this earth to specifically deal with deviance. That reasoning is is good enough for me. I understand the concerns with people that have that have follow up questions. But the assignment was explained pretty clearly on on the front end in the first probably 20 to 30 minutes or so of the movie. You also have to consider the fact that you're going to be dealing with an intricate web of several different uh, movies, characters, and universes, especially now as we see the direction that the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going. So I, I think it's, it's not an unfair criticism, but at the same time, it wasn't so bad that I wasn't able to disregard it. It's still a fun movie with dynamic, exciting characters who each get you know a couple of minutes of, of their moment in the sun. I think one of the most difficult things that, and we've already touched upon it, is trying to get people to care about 10, 10 characters who you've never seen before through 
I mean, you're talking about 20 to 30 movies that have been run so far, but you're trying to, to get audiences invested. It's, it's not an easy task, but uh, it is, it's one that I am excited to see at least some of these 10 in, in the next set of movies. Well, yeah. So I guess I can, I can break it down a little bit by character before we talk about the story. Cause I, I would say I've, I have, I'm a little more down on the story of this movie as a whole and the way it utilizes its villains, but I I find it more interesting to talk about how it utilizes these characters because I think the things that I found redeeming about it were that like I really liked a lot of these people, though I don't know if I I was as interested in the ones that like got the most screen time uh, necessarily. I think that uh, and I think part of the problem was like they I, I think the two most interesting ones to me were Fastos and Makari and like you don't see them till like halfway through the movie. Uh, and I think you've probably seen Ocean's Eleven. I'm guessing you saw the Suicide Squad movie earlier this year, and those movies are like very efficient. I love a good getting the gang back together sequence. Uh, I think that those are really fun, and uh, it just seemed like in like let's just say the Suicide Squad movie from this year and Ocean's Eleven are like great examples of doing something like that with a large group of people. Whereas I would say the 2016 Suicide Squad movie is like a bad job of doing that and is very inefficient with its time. And here, just like it's like, why couldn't we have everyone together until more than like halfway through the movie? We got these glimpses of them, of course, in the past, but it like takes so much effort to get them there. And I kind of enjoyed watching um Fastos and Druig and Makari like way more than I did like watching like Circe and Icarus like I did they just didn't like seem as interesting on paper and honestly Angelina Jolie is maybe the most charismatic actor in this whole entire cast and I don't know what the hell they were doing with that character like she she, she gets the she gets the Hawkeye and Avengers treatment which is just like really inexplicable because like she gets to be like brainwashed and like off doing her own thing and not really showing any personality when it's like she might be like the most famous actor out of all of them so I was wanted to see more from her. I wanted to see more, more from a couple of these others because I re- really liked them when they were on screen. And that's what I found to be like the most redeeming parts of this movie. Uh, it's just like it took a while to get to them. Did you like have any thoughts when you're like, oh, wow, I wish I had seen more of this guy or I'm more excited to see more of him, this one going forward as far as which of these this large cast of characters really worked for you? Because like, as we already talked about, they're having to like spread the wealth with the screen time. Yeah. And, and as you know, like, like I like fun with my movies. I know you, a lot of the time you'll go to a movie to learn something. I know <laughs> you'll go to a movie to, to feel something and be spiritual. I just like to have a good time, man. And, and so one of the characters that I really enjoyed was, was, was Kingo. Um, again, like the fact that when they find out what he's been up to this entire time, I, I thought that was really funny. I thought that was really creative. He also comes with arguably one of the best comic relief characters that we've seen since uh, Michael Pena's character in, in Ant-Man, uh, mm. Luis. But uh, I, I think he was a very fun, dynamic character, not to mention the fact that he got completely ripped for that role. Super impressive. I, I, I do want his uh, workout routine. But there, there were a lot of characters that I would prioritize a little bit higher. I, I thought that uh, Icarus, I think, was supposed to probably be kind of that like white bread, do do everything kind of uh, Hyperion-esque superhero. I don't know, probably an obscure reference for for those people who don't follow Marvel. He's probably the the Marvel equivalent of of I guess Superman. Uh, but everybody had their redeeming qualities. I thought I thought Fostos was a very interesting, deep, dynamic character. Um, Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, and. And one of the things you see his character development and he kind of has a change of heart through the whole thing. Um, and, and when I referred to the schism before, everybody kind of has their own personal conflict uh, where they're assigned to protect these earthlings. And then they see a thing or two here and there that, that 
they don't think that these people are worth saving or they think that uh, this assignment was was not all that it was cracked up to be. Uh, in terms of ranking the characters, I, you don't, I mean, you don't for, do a full ranking. I was just curious which ones really resonated with you. Yeah. And and I did want to get back to also something that you had had referenced before that I lost my train of thought on. But thankfully, you brought me back to it, which is getting the gang back together. Uh, that that entire sequence, I was very surprised that the first probably what hour, hour and 15 minutes were kind of putting everybody into their starting positions for the rest of the movie. And I think that probably could have been done. And you you see it, you see it done well in lots of different movies that can be accomplished with a few minutes of dialogue if you really wanted it to happen. Um, I don't know how much of that was was a creative choice on on uh, the writers or or the director to, to have it happen where you're you're doing it kind of out of sequence where you're going back and forth between past and present and they give you a little bit of trail of breadcrumbs so you can find out where you are um there's you know a re there's a reveal of of what kind i won't i won't uh talk about it too much at we're some gonna, point we're gonna move into a separate spoiler section in a minute uh so uh, hold okay. that thought hold that hold that thought the one thing I want to back up and ask you about before we go to the spoiler section is more broadly, you were talking about how like you like, you like fun when you go to the movies. And uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting point because you had mentioned that also that you hadn't like seen Chloe Zhao's other films. I had seen two of the prior ones that I mentioned, the writer and Nomadland, not comedies, bro. Like they are like uh, very serious, dramatic movies with very little, uh, very little levity, uh, very little comic relief. And I mean, they're, they're really good movies, but that's just not what she does. And like, Every Mar- just about every Marvel movie, like at least is takes the time to have some fun. And this one does too. So it's it's so it's new for her. I, I think some of the criticism I've seen from different um from different critics was this like they just felt like the, the fun, the quote unquote fun or some of those uh dinner table scenes or whatever felt a little too tacked on and didn't mesh that well with the rest of the plot. I don't know. I don't really agree with that. And it sounds like you don't either. It's, it seems like even if you might have some cr- other criticisms of the movie, it seems like you didn't have a problem with how it balanced its tones. You, you know what? I, I disagree with you slightly on that. Oh, okay. And and I, I I don't know. I, that probably is on me for not making my position clear. I, I liked it because you knew what you were getting. You were supposed to get a lot of action sequences with a lot of super powered characters who are put on this mm-hmm. earth to protect the earth. Um, that I got what I was expecting there. Uh, generally, you see Marvel movies, they're they're campy and and they're fun. And there's a lot of comic relief coming from a lot of different characters here. You only have them coming from a set two or three. So it, it actually probably isn't that surprising, you know, granted that I haven't seen any of uh, Chloe Zhao's prior movies, but the fact that they're probably a little bit more solemn, a little bit more, a little bit more serious is, is not surprising to me because of, of all the MCU movies, I would say this one probably took the least amount of time to have, kind of some of that wise ass dialogue that I enjoy um, some, some of the lighthearted stuff. Uh, it was well, no, it, guessing, rel- I, relatively I, speaking for a Marvel movie. I thought it was pretty heavy. Well, I bet you would have liked, I, mean, I, I don't, I, I'm sure you would have liked even more of that stuff, but like when you did get those moments in this movie, I think, I mean, Kingo and Gilgamesh are probably like the two, uh, the two they go to most for some of those moments. Agree. And, and even Dane has a couple, gets off a couple of funny one-liners when he's like, all of these revelations are happening in front of him. And, um, and, and there's a couple like allusions to this, like Makari just basically being a thief, uh, which are, which are, which are kind of funny. And like, I, I should mention that, um, Makari is played by Lauren Riddleoff and it's the first deaf, she's the first deaf character ever in the MCU, uh, or deaf superhero, I guess. 
And uh, Brian Tyree Henry, is, his, his Fostos, is the first uh, gay superhero in the MCU. Uh, not the first gay character. We saw that in Endgame, which is a little controversial because it seemed like Marvel wanted a little pat on the back for that one guy saying he went on a, went on a date with a guy when he's in that therapy session. Uh, yeah. But uh, Fastos, uh, yes, uh, gay, gay man has a family. Um, and Brian Tyree Henry is a brilliant actor. But Lauren Ridloff uh, plays Macari. And uh, I, I think she's I think she's pretty incredible, actually. You might have seen her last year if you saw Sound of Metal. Um, and she plays like the teacher in that movie, but here she's a superhero who is deaf. And I think she does a lot of really fun acting with her face and a lot of fun reactions to different things. So I think there's a lot of light moments. And I guess the question I was more asking you is, and I, and I don't disagree, like you can find a way to be lighter in a Marvel movie, even than this one was, and still have some dramatic moments. But when you did get those fun moments, you weren't like, oh, that seems out of place or anything like that necessarily. No, no, I yeah. didn't. I just, I, you know, my my thought is that I just kind of noticed that it wasn't as light or as uh, as campy as, you know, your Iron Man 2, uh, your your Spider-Man movies. Right. We're dealing with with a lot more serious themes and a lot more serious uh, characters who have been around for a while and really questioning what their place is on the earth. And philosophically, is the earth <laughs> trending in the right direction? So, I, I mean, it was kind of hard to shoehorn it in there, but I think the effort that was made was, was right for the subject matter that we were dealing with in this movie. Yeah. Uh, before I go into like a spoiler section, I guess the one other thing I want to ask you about is because uh, there's other there's some other opposing forces that become known later in this movie, but we can we can talk about that in the spoiler section. I want to ask more about the deviants themselves because I found them to be not the most compelling villain. It's a little reminiscent of the, of the Shatari and Avengers, which but at least they had at least they had Loki, you know, to bounce off of. You know, like Loki is one of the most charismatic villains in all movies. Uh, here it's just like you just got these deviants, and I just didn't think they were that interesting either, both as uh, something to fight against, even though it seems like this one starts starts absorbing the powers of the one of the Eternals he kills. Uh, but also just that like uh, if you're going to drop some kind of CGI thing into here, it's a bit of a letdown after we just saw Shang-Chi, which just had an incredible actor in Tony Wang playing the villain um, in just a, a, just a very unique, very memorable Marvel villain performance. And you follow that up with like these creatures that aren't even that cool of CGI right after we had seen in Shang-Chi some like really cool CGI dragons. So I was, I personally thought they were a bit of a letdown. Did you get more out of watching them fight these deviants? You know, I thought the effects were good, but as okay. far as the compelling character goes, I I, I think I agree with you, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's sort of difficult to get an audience on board and and make things memorable when when your main villain is just these kind of nebulous creatures that are that are evil and intend to take out humans. I mean, it might as well have been like wolves or or a grizzly bear because you don't really <laughs> hear you don't really hear about that much dialogue from them until. Uh, later in the movie so the context really isn't there for probably about the first hour plus of the movie and I think by that time it's probably a little bit too late to get uh, audiences to latch on so long story short yeah and and when you compare it to Shang-Chi when you're grading on a curve they definitely weren't uh, the villain that that you saw in that movie. And, and that was a little bit of a letdown, but I think that the charisma, uh, the charisma of uh, the 10 Eternals that you're dealing with, it, I think balance that out at least somewhat. Good. Uh, well, I want to jump off into spoiler territory now, because there'll be a little more to talk about there. It sounds like, you know, I, I, we, I didn't actually dwell too much Shane on the, at the beginning of the podcast as I maybe expected to, but this is just like, 
honestly, I think the worst reviewed movie of the MCU, if you go by Rotten Tomatoes, which people can acknowledge is not a perfect metric. I mean, Shane will be the first to admit there's plenty of movies that are rotten on the tomato meter that he loves. Uh, so, <laughs> oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of one now. God, so many. I watched I watched Devil's Advocate over the weekend. Well, I, mean, I don't know what that's right. I'm just saying you, you're normally you're normally one of the people that's first to recognize like, hey, if it has a low critic score and a high uh, audience score, like I'm probably right there for. Demolition uh, Man. Yeah. So th- with the stipulation that you know the Rotten Tomatoes isn't the end all be all, the fact is like it objectively did not really get the best reception from critics, and it sounds like. But I mean, even if I wouldn't put it like top tier Marvel, I think it sounds like Shane and I like you know we we got more out of it than like your average movie critic did. And I would uh, recommend. Pe- I mean, I think most people are going to see the movie just because people. It's not that hard to be an MCU completist. It's just you know one movie every few months basically. You can do that. Um, right. And and, and, and you know th- these things are being strung together in such a way now that like you know it's they didn't throw any multiverse stuff in here necessarily but it's easy to see how like these beings that are so powerful could have like some other kind of effect on other movies going forward so and no one's going to deny that it's probably going to be pretty important connective tissue in one way or another so i mean you'll probably want to see it just for that reason if nothing else but it sounds like shane and i can give it a bit of a stronger recommendation than other people so for whatever reason you're still you still have by the time you're listening to this it'll probably been out almost a month uh but like if you're still for some reason on the fence you know other people on the fence I think Shane and I would both urge you people, you guys to like, go check this movie out, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, my, my thought is, and I don't know if you want me to give it a rating, but I have it anyway. I'm going to give it three taco bells out of five. Uh, okay. That is a, ra- that is a rating system. We incorporated on, on uh, my podcast, the business mm-hmm. on top podcast where we, hey, I was going to let you plug that at the end, but I'm glad you could drop it in there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I would rather, I would rather do it organically where we call it's the Seinfeld of podcast. We talk a little bit about everything and we always get Taco Bell after every show. But three Taco Bells out of five, you know, not the worst way to kill two and a half hours. And if you're looking for uh, something that that's, you know, full of action and has a lot of a lot of characters. And if you if you like the MCU, I think it's worth going to see based on that alone. Yeah. Um, so if you, if, if you have if you have not if, if you have not watched the movie or and you, and you don't want to spoil, you spoil go go away now. Come back and listen later. We'll put a timestamp in the podcast so you know when to jump back in. Uh Shane, the the thing I wanted to jump to in this borderly section of this podcast, I, I mentioned was what was basically the overall villain problem I had with this movie. I mentioned the deviants, but there is a revelation that comes later in the movie uh, that hey, the reason that like a lot a lot of this stuff had basically like in a way been put in motion uh, was going over the heads of a lot of the Eternals as um, Arisham uh, basically reveals that the mission was not not really only to fight the Deviants, but to help for an emergence, which was going to help another Celestial named Tiamut, you know, emerge. But in order to do that, there has to be like a certain number of um, a, a, a certain number of like powerful people on the on the Earth. And there was a surge from when the snap was reversed that kind of like made the planet prime for such an emergence, but Ajax grew a conscious, uh, did not want to like, Oh, I should say this emergence kills all life on the planet. So that other celestial can like, come into being Ajax grew a conscience and was like, not down with that. So Icarus, who's, I guess, uh, you know, a bit more of a zealot. I was like, all right, I'm going to be the one to kill Ajax and help facilitate this. This revelation comes like three fourths of the way through the movie. Um, and as I said before, I thought Icarus was kind of a zero of a character for a lot of the movie to me, at least when he should have been when he, sh- he should have been a bigger deal. It's a very good actor playing him. And I, I, I heard it on another podcast and now I can't get it out of my head. It's like I think they probably should have like, you know, given us the tension of like wonder, like actually re- reveal his true intentions earlier in the movie. 
and like had that underlying tension be throughout. Like we know how much of like a, we, we know exactly what this guy is, but like when are, are, are our heroes going to find out in time? Instead, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And like, I would have rather like, it would have put his actions in a different light and like actually had us a little more intrigued to watch what he was doing. If we just kind of like knew he was also a villain for a lot of the way through. I'm wondering if like what, what your reaction is to like that thought, or if there is anything else you think could have been done to like, make the opposing forces of our heroes just more compelling in this movie. Cause that was like kind of overall my, my number one criticism though. I have a few others I want to talk about with respect to like the um, with respect to maybe the final fight. Sure. I think there's, there's a couple of schools of thought to, to do that. And, and we see this in tropes of all sorts of other uh, action and sci-fi movies. It's the classic, do you take the villain who used to be aligned with the heroes and explain it through backstory a little bit earlier in the movie or do you set up for the dramatic turn of events that that, you know, you think that he is a friend and it turns out uh, towards the end, he's a foe and he really wants what's best for, for the opposite side. And I don't know how much I'm Monday morning quarterbacking this, but one of the things that you had mentioned was that there's there's a lack of um, energy. There's a lack of um, dynamicness in in the villains when it's just the deviants themselves. And so I think it, it would have helped to put somebody who's a talented actor in his own right. You said Richard Madden, right? Yes. Rich, Richard Madden as, as Icarus um, show the falling out earlier in the movie, put him on the side of, of the deviants and maybe, you know, perhaps have him uh, control them uh, to facilitate the emergence. Uh, I, I think that that pro- that idea probably has a little bit of traction, uh, I think it probably could have led to a lot more interesting plot points and interactions, and there would probably be an increased sense of urgency to to reassemble everybody. Um, but at the same time, the the way that they did it didn't particularly rankle me either. Uh, mm. I, I do like a good double cross, and <laughs> if you if you watched any of the Ocean's movies, there's there's uh, nothing quite like an interesting double cross or or a fake out like that. So. Um, I, I think there's equal merit to both sides. Um, in, in a perfect world, you would like to see both. You would like to see w- what they could have done on, on the other side of the equation. But, uh, I think the way they did it is I, I was fine with it. I didn't, I didn't particularly take exception to it. I think that, 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 that idea of him just like, you know, being a more open antagonistic villain to the other heroes throughout is another different way of looking at it from where I was coming from, where I was thinking like, oh, he could have just like, we could have known he was a double agent, but he couldn't have. But yeah, I I, I don't I don't blame me for ultimately being uh, okay with how the revelation came about because I mean there there is an oh wow factor to that also you know I mean he's he's kind of presented as like the Superman type figure in a way and like he was like the de facto leader everybody everybody deferred to him through the movie I mean at at one at several points in the movie Kingo even calls him boss everybody looks up mm-hmm. to him you know even even when they find out that Cersei was technically designated the leader by Ajax, you still see everybody look to Icarus when they want answers. So right. the fact that, that he uh, ended up double-crossing them of all people is, is a pretty interesting reveal when it happens at that point in the movie. Yeah, I guess I just thought, like, you know, well, actually, that aside, I, I have one other thought I want to throw at you, and that, like, I thought an interesting uh, thing they could have done in that final fight, and I want, I, I want, I want to talk separately, maybe about the uh, the the Una. Uh, oh, the, the Unimind or the, the Unimind? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I want to talk. I want to talk separately about the Unimind and how uh, and how they utilized that and how they executed that. But one thought I had when the uh, when the Deviant ultimately like 
run, runs in in that scene, uh, he, he goes for Icarus at first. And for a second, I thought like, oh, are they going to have to team up with the Deviants to save Earth? And I thought that would have been a, a different interesting kind of twist once they were fighting Icarus that would have like had the Deviants serving like a different kind of purpose at that point in the movie. And because like at that point, uh, Crow, the Deviant that like is kind of becoming more sentient, he like, right. he has the only least, one that was able to speak. Right. He at least is in theory developing a little bit of a personality. So I thought that would have been a cool twist there. Because I, for a second, I thought they were going to go there when I, when, when, when the Deviant first just specifically went after Icarus and then they just kind of all start turning on each other. I thought it would have been a cool thing to like have to have them like team up in a, in a way that wouldn't have felt like kind of hokey or like jumping the shark in a way, because like it actually would have made sense. Whereas like that is kind of the deviant's home. And at that point, the other Eternals have decided they have an interest in saving Earth. We haven't even talked about the revelation that like they're about them being robots or whatever and how that really actually factored in. But regardless, like they've decided they want to save they, the both of them have their own reasons for wanting to save Earth as opposed to Icarus. So over even even aside from whether or not you would have wanted that to be the actual result of that fight what was your opinion of the overall execution of uh, of that and and the unimind because i have a couple of thoughts on the unimind too I, I thought it was interesting right because everybody understands that and when i say everybody i mean that uh all the eternals understand that in order to um defeat the emergence they all need to link up and uh faustos and ends up creating the concept of the Unimind that when everybody's powers combined, uh, they, they can stop the emergence, but, but that's the only way. Uh, you see that, that Sprite runs off with uh, Icarus and, and they, they have to fend for themselves and they do the best they can while also uh, fighting off the Deviants. Uh, and then really the one thing that really changes everything is the fact that Cersei cared so much for, for the humans uh, Icarus recognizes that uh, and and decides to join the Unimind and and Sprite goes with him. Uh, I I thought it was maybe a little bit hokey that his love for somebody else prevented him from carrying out the job that he was so intent on doing for the first basically everything but 20, 25 minutes left mm-hmm. of the movie. But overall, um, they eventually get the job done. And obviously there's, there's a couple of layers to it also where... Uh, once, once you think that uh, Tiamat is stopped, there are uh, consequences for for the rest of the cast. So, if, if you look at things in in terms of um, how many different different jobs each, each character has and uh, how how they executed it in the end, I I, I really wonder what what it could have been because I don't know. There are different. There are a couple of different ways that you can have that fight. Well, yeah, but I, the, the other thing I'd say is that like, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, there are definitely other ways they could have done it. My, my two criticisms, though, were that like one, I thought that it was weird that like they, they went through a lot of effort to explain what the Unimind was. And Fastos was clearly like doing a lot of like really like brilliant things to like make it happen in the first place. And it's supposed to connect all of them and harness all of their power. And then Kingo is nowhere to be found in that sequence. See, see, it's so interesting that you mentioned that because that was the lingering question as as you're watching that final scene. Where the hell is Kingo and why did it not make a difference that he wasn't in? Because he seemed to be, by all accounts, one of the stronger characters being able to shoot, I guess, just beams of energy. Yeah, where uh, where seriously just can kind of like turn matter into different things. Right, right. And and 
there's actually a joke about that earlier in the movie where she's like, you know, I turned, I turned water into a stone and I turned this into that. And it's like, Oh, well, really? Well, what else can you do? So <laughs> it, it, it does seem kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? That, you know, you needed every character, I guess, except for you could afford to lose one, but not the strongest one. <laughs> maybe, maybe the second strongest or the third strongest. Yeah. So I just thought, yeah, I just thought it was kind of strange. I mean, as long as this movie is, and there's so much stuff going on, it's like, you could have, uh, you know, cut a few things here and I get not making a three hour movie, you know, maybe that should be reserved for things as big as Endgame. But if there's an if there's a way to like, I would think like you could account for all of your characters in the final fight sequence of a Marvel movie. And so that was a little disappointing to me. You mentioned Sprite going off with uh, Icarus. I think I, I did find Sprite kind of interesting as a character. It's obviously kind of heartbreaking that she's had to go through that for uh, her whole entire just eternity being stuck in that body, even though she has the mind of someone much older. Uh, so right. in theory, maybe it should have been a, a more moving that she's like in, in love with this person that like she that obviously can't. It's just really an unattainable goal for her. Yeah, unrequited love, all that stuff. It should have felt like more than it was, but it felt a little out of nowhere. And it had a lot of bearing on the end of it where she seemed like pretty loyal to her friends. And all of a sudden she's like, Want to jump ship? I mean, I think they might have made like someone might have made one comment earlier in the movie. It uh, was noting, Kingo because he made the Peter Pan analogy. Oh, yeah. I think so. Someone had pointed out that she was in love with him at some point, but there had not been many indications that she was willing to, like, you know, kill all of humanity for that, even if, like, at the same time, she knows she's not going to be able to leave that body. Like, it just, it just felt a little bit, uh, it felt like it skipped a couple steps there to get her to that point at the end. So those two things just kind of bothered me during this fight that, like, I don't also know if it was, like, the, the most cool action. I know it sounds like you're a little more okay with the CGI than I was, but, like, you know, again, I, I, I feel bad. I'm comparing it to Shang-Chi again, but, like, you know, Shang-Chi had a couple things going for it where I just thought, like, the CGI was put to better use and there's this better hand-to-hand -hand combat, and here you have people shooting stuff at each other. I, yeah, um, I don't I don't think you should feel bad comparing those two because, yeah. number one, it was the last movie that they did, and we didn't really know anything about Shang-Chi, but before, mm -hmm. really, the only recurring character that we saw was in and that one was trevor slattery who's played by you know the great sir ben kingsley but well, and also wong and, and right and and but wong is is more more towards the end um you're you're surviving he's, he's, off in, the, of, he's in the beginning and the end i guess kind of yeah eh, okay that it, fair enough but you're talking about characters like sima liu you're talking about uh aquafina actors that were were able to carry it and and win viewers over um, with our personality and like this, this uh, imaginative world. Plus you're talking about the sister as well. Um, yeah, here it's, it, it's uh, a, a tough comparison and it is, it is a tough act to follow. Um, but I think if you, if you look at this movie in a vacuum, um, it's, it's a good, it's a good cast of characters who, and, and one of the things that people forget, this isn't the last time that you're going to see them, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to be back in some way, shape or form. Uh, it might not be the best introduction, but there are always bigger plans in store when it comes to the MCU. So I think that's not something that should be lost on people. And I think you do, like I said before, have to grade a, a little bit on a curve because this movie really was a vehicle from moving officially from phase one into seeing, okay, who, who are going to be the big bads for phase two? Yeah. And all, but the other thing being is that I guess Shang-Chi had an easier assignment too, I'd say. We already talked about how it was very hard to kind of go with all these characters. And uh, in spite of that, I just think they could have done a better job of like uh, accounting for all of them and uh, giving them all a little something a little more worthwhile to do at the end. Uh, we didn't talk about Druig much, who does have a couple moments there in the final fight where he does contribute. I, at the same time, he's another one I wish had gotten more time, I would say. 
And then, I agree. Uh, I agree with that. I do have some thoughts on jury. I think his, I think his like the, the moral dilemma that he is speaking to for a lot of the movie that I don't know if audience surrogate is the right word or like a voice for the audience where he's just like, yo, just help these people. Uh, and I, it, it, where it seems like they all have this one mission and he's the one that has a little agency and that he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I don't feel totally comfortable with this. I want to do something else. And I think it's interesting to have a character voicing those concerns while uh, everyone else is like kind of just taking the attack that we talked about earlier. Where it's like, yeah, we got to let the humans be humans. Uh, though at the same time, when he has this power to control people, I'm a little confused as to why like uh, Arisham or whoever like made him in the first place and then gave him those orders. It's like, if that's like your one power really is being able to like, you know, control people. But the thing you're not allowed to do is control people. I get, or I guess in theory, like he could have maybe, maybe in theory he could use those powers on deviants. I don't know. So I, I did have that thought. I was like, no, why is he even, why was he even made in the first place? At the same time, like I, that's another corner of the movie I could have hung out more was him like kind of debating their role with other people. And yeah, maybe just having debates isn't exactly what people go to see Marvel movies for, but if this movie wanted to get a little more philosophical and serious, that's the area I would have wanted it to do more of it in as opposed to like a love triangle between uh, Circe, Icarus and Sprite that I just did not have a lot of comfort or interest in. Yeah. And that, and that almost one that almost seemed like you were trying to build a car while the engine was running. Uh, isn't it interesting that a Druig, who is the one person who can control minds, is the is the first one in the movie to break away from the hive mind? Uh, he he's the first one. He's the first one to question everything, uh, and and he you can see that he he moves off on his own and set, sets up his his own civilization. It's, it's cold, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And <laughs> I think one of the most the most interesting things about him is. He's really the only one that has like legitimate anger towards Ajax and and um, the mission, uh, whereas everybody else just kind of calls it into question, uh, you know. And I think his his distaste for it, his anger for it, comes from a sense of him feeling like he can be part of the solution, but he's being told uh, through people who he feels like has less power than him to be a pacifist, step away from this. And, and he sees the war, he sees the strife, he sees the human struggle and, and feels like he can fix it. Um, but if if you're really controlling everybody's mind, are you really using them like puppets? It's the same, it's almost the same quandary that you had in, uh, I don't know how much I can spoil about WandaVision, but- uh, yeah, WandaVision's been out for long enough. You can say whatever you want. Okay, the statute of limitations is run on yeah, WandaVision. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, it, it, it's it's a very similar dynamic like how much can you truly fix by just controlling everybody in in the end i think it's more of a a problem that i think humans and the eternals needed to take on in a more uh, overarching sense so did did you have any opinions on how the revelation i mean well there's the revelation of how like these uh, the eternals are actually robots i just did not have enough i didn't really care i don't really know if that relationship that didn't really mean much to me and that like okay that's cool you guys are like kind of robots that you're you're just something else Arisham created you're just a different format than we thought but i think it, where it's a little more important is when it comes into the end where we know that they've gotten these instructions that they're only supposed to like interfere with someone's a deviant and then in the in the post-credit scene or, or i guess i should say the mid-credit scene where uh thena makari and Druig are you know they're they're visited by eros who introduces himself as thanos's brother uh, i should say shane i was sitting uh, there was an empty seat to my left. And then the two seats to the left of that were occupied by like, maybe like 19 year old girls. 
So okay. th- th- that was fun to see them get to react oh, to Harry, yeah, Harry, yeah. Harry, Harry Styles showing up in a Marvel video. <laughs> um, so I, I, I was honestly looking at them as much as I was looking at the screen because it was, it was pure joy. It was a nice thing to see. You know um, that they got more excited in that moment than when Steve grabbed the hammer in Endgame. Like, oh, like oh, 100 times more excited <laughs> just to see Harry's, Harry Styles there. That, yeah. That's an interesting one. And admittedly, if you're talking about obscure characters, one that I hadn't known about until afterwards, I really had to Google it. He, he's, I guess he's known as kind of like a ladies man type of superhero from what I can understand or uh, a figure. Yeah. But he also introduces himself as Thanos' brother. And but, but he's he, like, he's an eternal, but Thanos' brother. And that like, kind of begs the question, is Thanos an eternal uh, because the fact is like in a lot of these other comics and stuff like Thanos is actually described as a deviant, but the fact is like, they didn't interfere, uh, w- with Thanos and they're supposed to interfere only for deviants. So does that just mean like Thanos is a robot? Did your mind go down those rabbit holes at all? Or did you think about that when, when he started introducing himself as a brother of Thanos, do you have any feelings about that? Or, uh, just like, you know, what, what this whole, their actual chemical composition, if that means anything in the grand scheme of things, you know? No, I, I, I think it's an interesting theory. I can tell you that uh, as, as somebody who's not uh, very apt to the art of thinking, yeah. uh, I, I, I didn't really delve into that too, too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that they were kind of uh, androids that were designed for, I guess, whatever reason with free will, kind of like when you, uh, design the death star with a small thermal exhaust vent only two meters wide it's <laughs> like what what are you doing if not to just set yourself up for your own failure but we we see all sorts of different creatures we see aliens we see humans we see uh robots we see any kind of uh, amalgam of two or even even more than two in in the mcu so for me uh it it didn't surprise me all that much i mean we all know i think like the understanding is that they were were all created for this one particular purpose so whether they were human whether they were you know demigods it 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 really didn't make a difference to me because their job was still to i guess for lack of a better term to protect and serve the earth so um it i i didn't really have any like quandaries about it i'm i'm not sure how much you had thought about it but it seems like you thought about it probably a little bit more than i well i would say don't give me too much credit for being a big thinker i think i might have seen that point made in a review or another podcast but like i i went down that own rabbit hole myself once i did see that but i i guess my bigger point about the whole android robot thing was like it felt like it was supposed to be a bigger uh revelation that it actually felt like to me because like i was just like i didn't have much of a point of a reference for these people anyway like i I, i'd known them for like two hours like what what difference does it make to me if they're a robot as opposed to like like you said a demigod or whatever they might otherwise be they're just whatever they are they're just some kind of tool they're just vision right they're just vision it's a combination of like machine and man yeah so i don't know it was just it was weird i felt like it was supposed to be a big moment in the movie and i so i so i put it in our little spoiler section we're doing here but i just didn't really i I felt like i was supposed to have more feelings about it than i actually did which is which is you know again like if there's other areas that we both agree they could have spent more time and you know just giving us more time with these characters that's an area where it's like you could have taken that whole entire little revelation of the movie out and it wouldn't have really mattered to me um, Here's I, like, yeah, I was, and, and before you just move on to the next topic, I mean, the simple question for me when I'm, when I'm thinking about that is, you know, what difference does it make if they already have like human emotions, like anger, disgust, conflict, mm-hmm. if they already have those, they're, they're just as human as, as, as we are for all intents and purposes. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I didn't really have a whole other section. I was going to go to you on the last thing I was going to ask about the final credit sequence. I did not do a whole, we, we see Dane. It looked like he was going to tell something to, uh, well, I mean, 
well, the other thing is that we see, you know, at the end when uh, after after they've kind of like had this final uh, little thing, uh, this final fight, Dane's professing his her, his love for Cersei and is about to reveal a secret about his family history when she, along with uh, Bastos and Kingo, are just dragged back into space by Arishem, who said he didn't like that they kind of betrayed him, um, said they might, you know, maybe he'll spare humanity depending on what their memories show. coming back for judgment. Yeah, yeah. Return for Judgment. Um, he disappears and they kind of go with him. That kind of just like, I guess, sets up a sequel, which at some point is going to happen, but probably might be three years from now. So we can only really speculate like what's going to happen there. But, you know, we. Th- my point being, I don't know if there's even much to say on that scene right there. It's just whatever. They're trying to, you know, set up the next thing. But we see, but Dane was going to tell seriously something uh, when that happened. And then we jump to the final credit scene and we see Dane opening like an old chest that he inherited from some ancestors. It contains a, uh, a, a legendary ebony blade and uh and then we hear a, a, a disembodied voice questioning him as to whether he's ready for it if, if you've read any of the footage around the movie that voice was coming from marshall ali mm-hmm. who's going to play blade i've never seen the blade movies and i guess the you know the the blade is i guess utilized by uh the black knight who is like some other character that i guess could actually be someone that dane turns into at some point in a future movie it kind of makes sense if you're going to have someone i think that's what they're i think that's what they're going right it it, it makes sense if you're going to have as big of a a a star as kit harrington who like you know uh, i mean he's been in a couple like big movies that didn't really do much but he also uh i mean big star from game of thrones so it's like why why get the guy of that stature if he's just gonna like have a couple scenes with jimmy chan like and be surprised about who she is as a a eternal so it makes sense that he could play a bigger part in future movies i've never seen the blade movies i don't know anything about black knight i didn't want to google too much because it's like at this point like i'm just i just have to accept the fact i'm not a comics reader i don't know if i'm ever gonna you know take the time to become a comics reader. I'd rather just be surprised by this stuff as I see it in the movies. So I didn't Google too much, but I'm wondering, I think there are certain corners of comic book lore that you know more about than me, even if you're not reading comic books a lot. So I just wanted to ask you, did you have any more knowledge than I did of Blade, of the Ebony Blade, of Black Knight, such that that final scene did anything else, did any more for you than it did for me? Or were you just like, oh, cool, I'm wondering what's going to happen next? No, I had to Google it and I had the same what's going to happen next sensation uh, Mm -hmm. than you did. You know, truth be told, I have seen a few of the Blade movies, but I've I've only seen them in bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. And, and, And the thing is, you're taking a movie that was very separate from the MCU. You're taking a movie and character and trying to assimilate it into the MCU. So whatever you think of Blade, I think you have to just kind of throw it out the window at this point, because what Marvel's going to make it is is probably going to be different than um, what expectations you have for it. If you're basing it off your expectations from having seen, you know, the old Wesley Snipes Blade movies. But by the way, fun fact, uh, Mahershal Ali, I don't know if you consider the Luke Cage franchise, the MCU, but if you oh, do, yeah. he's double dipping because he was Cottonmouth in, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in Luke Cage, which is one of my favorite shows. And honestly, for me, I want to get it out there. It is it is tragic that uh, we're not seeing that that transition in the MCU, but you never know with uh, things that could be happening down the road. There there may be an opening for, for a comeback for, for Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist. One of the other things that I was going to get in, no matter what I, no matter what I said, no matter what I did on this podcast, I was mm-hmm. still going to make the joke that Icarus did the literal Bob's Burgers meme because he said, as soon as they save the earth, well, I hope you kids are excited because now I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and he, Icarus flies into the sun. Um, right. I'll just say, I just want to say again, for anyone that hasn't um, seen how Marashali as Blade came to be, like Google it. It's pretty, it's, it's actually not a whole lot of a story to Google, but he basically just like, after he won his second Oscar, he just basically like demanded a meeting with Kevin Feige and was like, 
I want to play Blade, and Kevin Feige was like, okay. <laughs> so, okay. It was like it was like super badass, to like just to be like, be like, I'm I'm gonna capitalize on this. I have my second Oscar now. I've done all the Oscar series, hoity toity films. I want to go be that superhero, and he just like made it happen. Very just a very very cool power move. Follow your dreams, <laughs> kids. Yeah, if you if you want to be a MCU character, all you got to do is win two Oscars and make it happen. Shane, any final thoughts on Eternals that you want to leave us with before we wrap up? The Eternals is a movie about humanity. Which which direction is it trending? Um, is humanity a, a, a good thing for the universe? Do we have room to grow? Uh, and, and the thing that I would say is not only does humanity have room to grow, but uh, the MCU has has a lot of room to grow. Um, stick with them and and good things will happen. I think, like I said, there's a lot more thread to unspool as we move forward into this uh, next set of Marvel movies as we enter the the post game, the post end game era. Um, so I'm just taking a very much wait and see attitude. Like I said, this isn't going to break the top 10 of, of any Marvel movie that you might see. Um, but stick with it. Keep an eye on these characters. They'll be back and we'll, I mean, I'll certainly be intrigued to see what direction they decide to push them. Yeah. I, it was funny you made the point about it being a movie about like whether humanity has the capacity to grow or it's like they're debating throughout this movie whether humanity is worth saving and it's like it's funny it just happened to come out at a point in time where it's like humanity's really been through the ringer the last two years and it's like definitely have room to grow though I think a lot of humanity is like really trying to push the boundaries on that question about whether or not we're worth saving uh, so yeah it's, I, it's, I, don't, it's a f- I don't necessarily want to be like the the moralizer of like we're great or, or we're not great yeah. but the movie definitely makes you think yeah, it's a funny point in time for it to come out, but I'll just say overall, like I, as I said at the end of our non-spoiler section, I just think it's worth seeing. And I, I feel like the overall word on it has been too negative, though. And the biggest reason I do feel that is that I just think a lot of these characters are like really worth like seeing because I think the next Eternals movie, it, it won't be able to help but be better just because like we're going to know all these characters better already. And um, and I think that'll just make it easier and there's not going to be as much set up. But I just think that, like, because I like them so much, I see so much more opportunity in this movie uh, for you for like using them in a smarter and more efficient way. Uh, again, not totally wasting Angelina Jolie. That character is like pretty cool. I like, can just like make she's a like, badass. I mean, like, she's she's I, essentially what Wonder Woman, like the MCU version of Wonder Woman, like with legit powers, goddess of war. I mean, that that's pretty great. And I I do agree with you that she's somewhat of an underutilized character considering that she's probably the most accomplished actress out of all of them. Yeah, she can form any weapon basically out of cosmic energy, which is how I, which is how her powers were described when I looked it up. And it's just a, it's supposed to be an incredible fighter, but it's just like ha- has a psychological condition that is like causes her to lose her mind and uh, attack her, you know, attack her, attack her fellow Eternals randomly and uh, needs to be kind of woken up and, um, you know, they, they, they kind of explain that away later is kind of being a, some a, a little bit of an issue of her remembering prior things that had been wiped, you know, due to their machinery or whatever. Um, other memories that have, been, I guess, been kind of incepted into her or something like that. And it's fine. I get that. But like, it's just she's an incredibly not only the biggest star, but honestly, maybe one of the better actors in this whole troupe and just doesn't get enough to do. And I, that, that's just one example. Again, I really like Fastos. I mean, we didn't talk too much about Brian Tyree Henry. He's just an incredible actor that can do anything. If people have, you know, seen Atlanta, seen if Beale Street can talk, see Widows. He's got comedic chops, that's for sure. Yeah, Atlanta, yeah. I mean, Atlanta is kind of a comedy, though. He's not the funniest part of it. He's, I mean, he's just a revelation when he got cast in that show. And he he has a couple of funny moments here, though. I mean, a lot of people made a big deal out of the whole, uh, 
yo, is he responsible for Hiroshima thing? I didn't have strong feelings on that necessarily, but a lot of people were kind of offended that like Marvel like used the dropping of an atomic bomb on Hiroshima as like a plot device uh, and attributed that to one of their characters. I mean, some people were really bothered by that. I was going to say too soon. Come on. I mean, yeah, but some people were very bothered by that. It, I, it wasn't necessarily, uh, I wasn't necessarily, but I was just kind of like, I, I, I thought they could have done more with him. Uh, Makari and uh, Druig, I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to be a romantic connection, but they at least have a really good friend connection that I could have seen a lot more of, you know? And I just, I, I just enjoyed seeing them interact and I could have used more of that. There's just other things I thought this movie could have slightly altered its priorities that would have made it like even better. But as it stands now, I think it's fine. I don't think it's a disaster it's made out to be. And I just wanted to like, you know, reiterate that one more time. Shane, before we get out of here, I, w- 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 there's two things I like having people do at the end of the podcast. The first, is there anything else you've been watching recently that you want to plug anything else on tv or movies can be new or old that you've just happened to uh come across lately they're like hey i think other people should check this out yeah a couple a couple of different things and i'll just be concise on each one i'm going to treat this as the lightning round like we do okay. on the business on top podcast right. so 30 seconds on each yellowstone if you like kevin costner if you like cowboy culture that's a pretty good one i'm on season three season four just started um it's a lot of action it's pretty hardcore it's it's uh, violent. There's not a lot of levity in that, but uh, it's pretty solid hour TV show. Uh, the second thing that I watch is is Summer House, or I guess Winter House. So they take the Summer House <laughs> cast on Bravo. Uh, they put them in a ski lodge in Vermont. Uh, it gets wild. It's uh, it's trashy. It's dumb. It's it's one of the greatest single hours of television that you'll watch during the week. The third thing that I watched uh, over the weekend, I had alluded to it before. Devil's Advocate. Uh, hmm. Josh and I are attorneys. I know that if, if you're an attorney, it's it's kind of interesting, the, the reveal in that movie. Um, if you do like old movies with, well, I, I don't know how uh, old you consider it, but it's about 25 years old. It came out in 1997. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. If you want to see something kind of weird and, and kind of strange, um, but something with like a lot of action, suspense, and almost like a psycho thriller, uh, go watch that. It's like $3.99 to rent on Amazon. And it's, uh, just like this movie, the Eternals, it's a good way to kill two and a half hours. I don't have a ton of, uh, uh, movies myself to plug because, or TV shows, cause I've been doing so many podcasts cause there are so many movies coming out. So I, I as usual, I'm some, or as, yeah, as happens sometimes I'm running, running low on ground, I'm running low on new things to plug that aren't already movies that I've already done podcasts on. I, I will say, um, I, I, th- I can't remember Shane. Are you a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm? I, I do like Curb. Um, I've always preferred Seinfeld to Curb, mm. but I, I do like a couple of good episodes of just Larry David, Cheryl Hines, and and God, sure. Great. So the new season is a few episodes in as the recording of as of the recording of this podcast. I did not love necessarily the last two seasons a lot. And I don't even know if I'm uh, as high on this one as I was the earlier seasons of Curb. There's a, there's a few fun little running jokes in this one that I've really enjoyed. So I think it is worth checking out. They make a couple of fun references to COVID without making it all about COVID. There's a, a, a Larryism called middling, uh, meaning, you know, being the middle guy at a dinner party that keeps the conversation going, which I, I really got a kick out of. Just some fun <laughs> little, just, just some fun little, uh, fun little new ideas they've come up with that uh, felt a little different and some a lot of really good cameos so i think check out the new season of curb your enthusiasm if you haven't gotten around to it yet that's my recommendation this week shane you've already done it a couple times the last thing you always do is we have people plug their own uh things they got going on where can people find uh business on top or anything any other personal social media things you want to plug all right yeah probably the only thing will be the business on top podcast i am in the bot studio right now (laughs) uh usually i'm with my co-host ben siegel and vj patel we call it the seinfeld of podcasts We talk about a little bit of everything. We just filmed episode number 49 last night. 
You can follow us on Instagram at business on top pod. You can get us on Spotify. You can get us on Apple podcasts. Uh, I appreciate the runway to be able to bloviate about our dumb show <laughs> where we talk about everything from the college football playoff to uh, Hershey's peanut butter cup pie to mm. uh, do you pee in the shower. So if you want to talk about all, all these weird, interesting, fun stuff, and, and we love to sink into the awkwardness around there. I know we, we've had a couple of uh, uh, funny lackluster moments here, even on this podcast. But if you want to listen to more dumb stuff like that, and if you like nostalgia too, that's one of the other things that we get into. But uh, Business on Top, that's the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram. You can subscribe on Spotify and iTunes. And when you do subscribe, don't forget to unsubscribe, resubscribe, re-rate, and re-review. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I need to tell people to do that more often too on here. But as usual, uh, you can find the podcast uh, at Rewind Movie Pod on Twitter. And uh, the podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. I'm Josh Jernavoy on Twitter, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. And on same thing on Letterboxd. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, we might have an, we might have uh, episodes on King Richard, uh, Power of the Dog, Belfast, Bergman Island, all in some order. I'm really not sure. I'm really not giving myself any kind of Thanksgiving break because the movies aren't letting me, but uh, the, the show must go on. Uh, thanks again to Shane for joining. Thanks again to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.